certainly um, you can speak through me. And so I pray that you would, for your glory and for your praise. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning I'd like to uh, speak to you from the topic, uh, Called Out to Glorify the Lord. Uh, called Out to Glorify the Lord. That's true of every single person, believer or not, God calls you out uh, to glorify Him. Um, in the book of Exodus chapter 5, um, I want to talk about this subject that we would give, we would not give up when our pursuit of God is challenged. That we would not give up when our pursuit of God is challenged. He calls us out uh, to glorify Him, but often that comes with challenges. And so let's look at that. Uh, Exodus chapter 5, begin reading at verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Uh, but Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice? and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of bricks that they make in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the, the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble and straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily tasks, every day, <clears throat> as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all, that your, ta all, your, all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants Yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, The Lord, look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh 
and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send you them, them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring them out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Our passage begins with, uh, with hope, with, if you will, the thrill of victory, uh, but it ends in a valley in the agony of defeat. It begins on a mountaintop with Moses coming with a cry of freedom, but ends with a whimper of despair. You ever experienced that in life? You hear a message, you get so excited, you're all fired up and ready to go, and, and something happens, challenges what you heard, and you're ready to give up and throw in the towel and Forget about the whole thing. Back in chapter 4, in verse 31, when Israel as a nation heard that God had, had, had come to visit them, and he saw their affliction, uh, the Bible says they believed, they bowed down, they blessed the Lord, they were so excited, and then off Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. He says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go they may offer a feast. Pharaoh said no and made things worse. And um, the people were in despair. Their hope diminished. You know, hope deferred. You know the verse. Makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. But what you see in this particular passage is that God wants his people free. He wants them to experience freedom. Uh, God wants you free to serve him in Christ. Uh, that was the hope of the, uh, the people here, and it's, it's the hope we have in Jesus Christ that Moses and Aaron came on the scene crying that God is a God who wants his people free. He wants his people to, to have a feast to him. 
that God wants His people free to celebrate Him. And uh, Pharaoh wasn't convinced. And it's interesting, is it not? Because uh, he says, who is the Lord that I should listen to Him and obey Him and, and let Israel go? Well, he, he knew something implicitly about the Lord. He knew uh, that, that Israel was a vast nation. He knew historically that when, that when the Pharaoh tried to stifle uh, them, uh, they had grown and multiplied. Seventy people came down to Egypt and they grew into an innumerable company of people. And uh, they, they, they put the Egyptians in dread, it says in chapter 1. They were in dread. They were afraid of the nation. And so they brought taskmasters in to afflict them with burdens and and the more they did that, the more they grew. And then they, they sought to stifle them out with genocide, but they still kept growing. And so implicitly, Pharaoh knew that this nation was undaunted. Whoever their God was, he knows how to grow a nation. He knows how to make his people fruitful. And um, the Pharaoh wasn't convinced. He, he said No. Uh, but, but Moses had a, a, a cry for, for freedom, a cry that, that said that there is, a, there is a God, there is a Lord, and, and He's worthy uh, to be celebrated. He's worthy of a feast. He's worthy of sacrifices. And, and Pharaoh himself said it. He said, why do you make the people rest? And that's what God is. He's a God who gives rest to His people. He's a God who gives Sabbath to them that they might rest in Him. You know, Jesus came on the scene as the new Moses, and his message was just the same. It was a message of freedom. It says in uh, the Gospel according uh, to Luke, in, in chapter 4, when Jesus came into the synagogue, you probably recall the passage, and he uh, took the scroll from the uh, attendant, and he read from it, from the passage in Isaiah, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That the King had come. He came to reign. He came to bring freedom and and, and liberty from the bondage of sin, from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, the pollution of sin, the presence of sin. Jesus came with a cry for freedom, a cry of liberty, a cry to set the people free. So, uh, like it says early on in, in Luke's account, uh, from the mouth of, of Zechariah, whose mouth was closed because of unbelief, but when his mouth was loosed, uh, he said these words. He says that, um, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's true of every one of us, believers in Christ Jesus, that Jesus has set you free to serve him in righteousness and holiness all of his days. That's the, the plan of God. Moses came uh, to declare that plan. Uh, the kingdom came with Jesus, but the kingdom is foreshadowed right here. The kingdom of Christ coming 
on the scene, visiting his people in bondage to set them free. Um, but Satan does not want you free. Satan wants you enslaved to him instead. Pharaoh, uh, aligning himself with Satan, uh, rejected what God said. Rejected the word through Moses and Aaron. He says, I don't know the Lord. I'm not going to set them free. Get back to your burdens. Um, and not only that, but he made it worse. He made their burden heavier. He made their work harder. He said, we're not giving you any straw. Go get your own straw, but you better produce the same number of bricks or we're going to beat you. Um, Pharaoh was wicked. And he said about this message of freedom, they were lying words. And that the real issue was you're idle and you need more to do. Um, you ever feel that way? There's no deliverer for you. There's no escape for you. There's no freedom to be experienced by you. You know, in Jesus' day, there was a group called the Pharisees, along with the Sadducees and the scribes. They were like Pharaoh. But they were all about externals, and they were all about rules and rules and more rules. And they liked to make people submit to rules, even after, after, after Pentecost. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after Pentecost, it came on the scene and says, you still have to do it. You still have to keep the law of Moses. Jesus is not enough to make you free. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like you got to do more and more? You got to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and read your Bible and pray for three hours? You got to do those disciplines, or you're not going to experience freedom. Well, you got to read your Bible, you got to pray. But uh, sometimes we make it into some kind of legalistic system. You know, um, my, my wife one time was reprimanded by an elder, not here, um, because she came to church and she was wearing the wrong dress because they were having a funeral and it was not culturally appropriate. They didn't even say good morning. They just said, you got the wrong dress on. A rule. Yeah, her husband had some words to say to um, that elder. Um, and it's so funny because the, the, the daughter of the deceased came, came in with an even brighter dress on. And I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you got him for me. Yeah. Um, but sometimes the, uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they held Israel in bondage through their religious system of man-made rules and traditions and external, external heart-by-passing rule and hypocrisy. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power to really be godly. It looked pretty. But inside it was ugly. Jesus said they were like whitewashed tombs. Outside they were polished. They had all the externals. They knew how to pray. They knew how to give. 
And you knew it because they let you know all about it. They wanted you to watch them when they prayed. They wanted you to watch them when they gave so that you could sit back and say, such a spiritual person, such a wonderful person. And Jesus said, you're a whitewashed tomb inside your dead men's bones. Um, Those externals never get to the heart. They never get beneath the surface. They never deal with what's going on inside where the real change needs to take place. Pharaoh um, made the burden harder. Sometimes we make the burden harder too in our life. Um, When Jesus was here, uh, you know how it was when Christ was here. Um, He touched the wrong people. Put your hand on a leper four. What's wrong with you? (laughs) He he ate with the wrong people. He hung around the riffraff. He hung around the wrong crowd. He let the wrong people touch him. Or he knew what kind of woman that was, right? He wouldn't let that woman touch her. He rebuked that woman. Um, They were all into the outward appearance of things. But they lacked mercy. They lacked justice. Sometimes in the church we do the same. We lack mercy. We lack justice. We need help in the congregation of, of, um, of the church all over the world. We lack unity. Uh, we're all guilty. We get caught up on our particulars and we don't want to fellowship with this one or that one because they're different than we are, right? They got more water than we do. Some of you will get that later. Um, and so we, we need work. We need prayer. We need mercy. We need justice. You know, Pharisees had an exactness that lacked mercy. You know, even when you read this passage, when Moses comes on the scene and initially talks to Pharaoh, he doesn't say everything exactly the way God told him to say things. The second time he says something to Pharaoh, then he says something more like what God first told him to say. And God told him to go to Pharaoh with the elders. He didn't go with the elders, he just went with Aaron. So he wasn't exact either, but God God is patient, God is gracious. The point is he got the message right. And... um, Pharisees, they want an exactness about everything. And, um, and you see what happens here is that Pharaoh makes the burden harder and, 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 and the end result of it is that the taskmasters beat the foremen, beat the people, and then the people go back and complain to Pharaoh. They try to rebuke him. Um, then, they, then they rebuke Moses and And Aaron, they talk about the leaders. Ouch. Um, You ever complain about your elders? Never, of course not. Um, um, But sometimes it happens, right? We pray on people instead of praying for people. Um, And then Moses and Aaron, they turn to the Lord and they, they, they want to give up. Why did you ever send me? 
You haven't done anything. You haven't delivered your people. Um, what happens now? You know, you need, you know, when God wants you free and Satan wants you bound, there's a need for patience. There's a need for perseverance. Patience is the ability to, to stand up under trial without complaining. That the freedom that Jesus came to give you, you have it, but experiencing it in the particulars of life is a process. And there's a need for patience without complaining. What on earth is God doing? You sent us down here to declare freedom, and it got worse. You know, Satan has had these people bound for close to 500 years. He's not just going to say, okay, I'll give them up. Satan's going to fight. And Satan's going to fight you when you try to walk in freedom, when you try to walk in holiness, when you try to walk in godliness. Satan's going to fight you. He knows he can't have you because you belong to Jesus but he's going to fight you and try to make you ineffective. Get you bound to all kinds of things in your life to keep you from growing the way you're supposed to grow. And when you, when you hear this, this message of freedom, you know the Israelites are like that second soil in the parable of the sower. They heard a message. They believed. They bowed. They blessed. They got so excited, full of joy. Then trouble came, and they faded. They faded away. You ever get like that? You hear a message, you get excited, then something happens and it fades. You know, my father used to say that people are like tea bags. You know you're like a tea bag? You don't know what you're really made of until you get in hot water. Isn't that true? You put a tea bag in hot water, and then you realize it's not gray tea, it's red tea. Because you can tell it's seeping now in the water. And you can tell what you're made of when you get in hot water. And that's what these people experience. They're now in hot water. And the truth comes out. And Moses comes back with this message of God. And they don't want to hear it. Their ears are closed. Because they need patience. They need perseverance. Perseverance is the ability to move forward against opposition. To continue to move forward and not give up. The dictionary defines perseverance as a steady persistence in the course of action, a purpose, especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles, or discouragements. When you're called on to delay. And uh, Israel lacked both of these qualities. How about you? Um, when, when things don't go your way, when things don't seem to go God's way, they always go God's way, but when they seem like they don't go God's way, do you give up? Do you complain? Do you murmur? Do you grumble? Do you attack? These people attacked Pharaoh, it says. In verse 15, um, Pharaoh is in the position of Satan. Sometimes we want to talk to Satan and attack Satan. Why are you talking to him? He can't help you. You ever, you ever experienced that? Where Christians are going, I'm going to rebuke the devil. Okay, go ahead. Good, good luck with that. Okay? You do better talking to Jesus, okay? Jesus rebuked the devil. Let him rebuke the devil for you, okay? You talk to Jesus about your trouble. Don't talk to the devil. He's got more tricks up his sleeve than you know what to do with, okay? 
Um, you talk to Jesus about your struggle. That's what Moses got to the point of doing. He said, oh Lord, he cried out to the Lord. He cried out uh, complaining, but he cried out to the Lord nonetheless. And he cried out to God because, because, because what Moses needed, what Israel needs, what you and I need is, is a little perspective. That what God is doing, God is doing something when the struggle gets harder. God is doing something when the struggle gets heavier. And that, that what we need to know is that God's purposes in Christ for us, for you, are going to pre prevail. Uh, the good work that God began in your life, He will faithfully bring that work to completion. Uh, you can't stop Jesus. Uh, he said, uh, on this rock, and the rock He's talking about is the rock of the testimony about His identity. It's the testimony of who He is and what He's about, what He's done. He builds his church on the gospel. He is the gospel. And the proclamation of him and what he's accomplished and achieved for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Uh, Jesus says, on that rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the move of the church. You can't stop Christ Jesus. Go ahead and try. It's never been done. He's never lost the battle. Um... Look at what it says here in, um, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. With a strong hand. You know, when God repeats himself, he's trying to make a point. You know, this was language that the Egyptians used back in the day when they went to battle and went to war. And Pharaoh would come back declaring that he won the battle. And he said, with a strong hand, Pharaoh has de defeated his foe. That's the way Egyptians talk. With a strong hand, I defeated the Assyrians or whatever it might be. And so God is saying that what Pharaoh's going to do with a strong hand is he's going to drive you out with a strong hand. He's going to let you go with a strong hand. That hand that, that so many times was lifted up in victory over his enemies will now be lifted up in defeat. That he'll finally give up. Um, we should not give up. Let the devil give up. Sometimes we get so hardened and so, so much difficult, challenging circumstances, we want to give up the ghost. <laughs> oh, just take me home, Lord. Why do I have to deal with this? But God is up to something in your struggle. You and I need perspective. Um, look at what the Lord says here in verses uh, 2 and following. Over 16 times in verses 2 through 9, the Lord refers to himself. Over 16 times, uh, if you look here, in, 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 um, he, he, he marks these off with a, um, with a I am the Lord. They become the bookends in verse 6. I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham. I will give it to you. And then he concludes with, I am the Lord. And so God is saying, my name is on the line here, Moses. This is about my reputation and my fame. It's not about you. 
This is about God getting glory for himself. It's about God making a name for himself. When, when, when Israel failed um, and went again into exile, um, God says to them again in, in Ezekiel uh, 36, this is a, it's a second exodus that he talks about. In Ezekiel 36, 22, he says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. God made a promise to Abraham long ago. He made a promise to, to Isaac and to Jacob. And, and, and he made a promise in blood. He told Abraham to get those animals, cut them in half, and Abraham didn't walk through those animals. God walked through those animals. He, he called a curse down on himself if he didn't do what he said he was going to do. And, and, and God here seems to aim to remind Moses, I appear to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Don't forget that. And, um, and you can't forget that either. That when you and I broke the covenant, uh, God still called a curse down on himself. Jesus is the one on Calvary who received the curse, who received the wrath. When you and I fell away from the covenant, from faithfulness to God, far off in a distant land, Jesus is the one who took the blame. And, um, and, and you and I have to preach that to ourselves again and again. Uh, the Israelites needed perspective on what God was up to. They could not see God working through their sufferings. Can you? When you're challenged, when you suffer, can you see God working through your sufferings? Calling you to patience and perseverance in spite of what's going on in your life? God is always up to something. When you're at the end of the rope, what do they say? When you're at the end of your rope, you tie a knot and hang on. Right? You ever hear that? When you're, when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. That's true. Isn't that true? You better believe it's true. God is at work in his sufferings. The psalmist could say, it was good for me that I would be afflicted, that I might learn your precepts. Read that again in Psalm 119, verse 67 and, and 71. That's what it says in verse 67 of Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Verse 71, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. We try not to think about affliction that way, and we probably ought to. Um, suffering, the Bible says, produces perseverance. Perseverance builds character. Character does not make us ashamed because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Spirit of God. You know, when Paul was down to nothing, he knew God was up to something in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Remember what he said? He said that we felt that we had received the sentence of death. We thought it was all over. We were suffering so much, we thought our lives were in the balance. But he said, but that was to keep us from trusting and relying on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. That this came into my life so that I would get on my knees and depend on God and cry out to him. 
See, Moses came with all these I wills, I wills, I wills from God, and the people were discouraged. They were broken. They couldn't hear it. They were closed because they needed perspective. They needed to remember that God is up to something when you're suffering, that you can't stop God's good for you through suffering, that God takes the suffering and turns it around and manipulates it and uses it for your good. That's what, that's, what, that's what Paul said, neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, how on earth did he know that? Because he had been through some stuff, cried out to God, and found God right there. You ever do that? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you come to God, you've got to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Yes, he does. The Bible says those who know your name will trust in you because you never forsake those who seek you. No, he doesn't. Jesus said, come unto me, all weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus can't lie. He'll give you rest. He's been at ground zero. He's been in the worst case scenario. He can help you. But he's sitting pretty now, baby. He's on a throne. He's ruling. Every knee's bowing. Every tongue's going to confess. He's Lord, because he is. He's God Almighty. It didn't look like it on the cross, did it? Didn't look like a bad day, huh? Bad hair day. People must have said that about Jesus. He had a crown on his head, thorny crown. It was really a bad hair day for him. But oh, three days later, he was sitting pretty. He walked out that tomb with all power and authority in heaven and earth in his hand. And no centurion, you couldn't stop a centurion. Centurions were powerful. They were strong. They were warriors. And they shook when he came out that tomb. They never saw nothing like that before. When they crucified people, they died. But this one got up. And oh, those, they, they, wow, I like to think that they wet in their pants, baby. Yeah, man, they didn't know what was going on. That stone rolled back. God is up to something when you suffer. God wants you to rely on him because, you know, God knew the end of the story. He knew that when Israel got into the wilderness, they were going to complain, they were going to murmur, and these very people whose spirit was broken, who couldn't hear it, who were closed, most of them died anyway in the wilderness because they weren't open to a perspective that God is able, God is that sovereign and that big and that wonderful and that wise that he can take your suffering and twist it and make it work for your good. Remember how he did with Joseph? His brothers meant evil. God switched that thing, put him on top, and all his brothers sitting there bowing down, saying, we need grain. God can twist something. You know what I'm saying? He can manipulate the whole cosmos. Um... Paul said it like this. He said, and it's related to our passage, uh, that, that you know, he prayed, he cried out. He had a thorn in the flesh. He didn't know what to do. He was praying and praying, and Jesus said, I'm not taking it away, Saul or Paul, because I want you to know how sufficient my grace is. I want you to know how powerful I am, Jesus said, when you're weak. We don't like weakness. We like to be sufficient ourselves but we're not. And it's good when trouble comes sometimes. 
because God says, I got a work order out on you. I want to show you some stuff about myself. And so it behooves us when trouble comes to cry out to God. Just like when, when Pharaoh made the burden heavier, made the work harder. The order of the day was to cry out to God and say, what now, God? God is on the move. And the same thing when you struggle with sin. You struggle with trouble and difficulty and sometimes oppressive people. And you get sick of it. You get annoyed. You grumble. You complain. Turn that thing around and say, oh, Lord, you're up to something. I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm here with you, Lord. I know you began a good work. I know you're going to finish the work. And so help me while you work, not to complain and murmur, but to give praise, to give thanks. Um, the prophet um, Habakkuk, you know that passage, when, um, when things weren't going so well. Uh, it says in chapter 3, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Oh, this is bad. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Uh, why do you think uh, David could sing so many songs? to God because of all he went through in the oppression in Saul's court. Uh, why do you think Israel sang that song in chapter 15 because they knew from 400 some years of slavery and they saw their enemies buried in the midst of the sea. That oftentimes God takes you through the ringer because he wants to get you to a place where you are only looking at him. You're not relying on anything in yourself. You're not trusting anything in yourself. You are fixated on your Father in heaven. You are sufficiently, you are not sufficient, but you are looking at Him and His sufficiencies. That's where God wants us to be. Uh, Jesus Christ went through so much trauma on earth so that He was able to sympathize with your weaknesses with your struggles, with your troubles. And so often we'd rather complain, so often we'd rather shut our ears to the very message that's going to bring us hope and bring us confidence. That message in chapter 6 of the I wills of God. That God has put himself on the line. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to bring you out from under the bondage. I'm going to make you my own. I'm going to bring you into a land. That's what God says to us in Christ, that God is going to, to set you free in the daily, practical ways in which we live. Freedom from sin. There is a process of sanctification taking place in your life as a believer. And the Bible calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is at work in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel when things get difficult and things get challenging, get in your, your Bible and, and read the Word, meditate on the Scripture, call on God in prayer. Be like, be like Asa was or in, 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 in that day. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know. The Bible says God gives you peace that transcends your understanding. 
We don't have it figured out. But we know who we're looking to. We know who we're crying out to. We know whose word we're listening to. Uh, be, be adamant in the things of God. Be adamant in the word of God. Be adamant in prayer to God. Be adamant in following God in which you know he's called you to. Realize that it's a process that you're in. And um, progress is coming. Uh, don't grumble. When you grumble, when you murmur, it's a way of saying, I don't want to worship. When trouble comes and you complain, it's a way of saying, I don't want to worship. I don't want to know how sufficient God is. I don't want to understand His power. I just want it fixed, and I want it fixed now. And not taking, taking notes and saying, wait a minute, God is up to something. God made some promises. His, his own reputation's on the line. He's going to keep His promises. He kept them up to this point. And so there's no, it takes more faith. Do you know it takes more faith to doubt God than to believe in God? Do you know that? It takes more faith to doubt God than to believe in God. Because God's already proven himself. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, he's proven himself. He keeps his promises. You have to have more faith to doubt him than to believe in him. And so what, what God does with Moses in this last thing in teaching him how, to, how he's going to prevail is God reviews the history. He says, look what I did with Abraham. Look what I did with Isaac. Look what I did with Jacob. Now I'm here, and look what I'm going to do with you. And so God has a proven record, and so when, when trouble gets difficult for you, when hardship comes, when challenges come, what do you do? You study history. You study God's history and realize it's, as many people said, it's his story. He's in charge. And you go back and you review. This is what God did with Abraham. This is what God did with Isaac. This is what God did with Jacob, with Moses, with David, with, with the apostles, with Paul, with Christ, and now me. He's made promises. He's going to keep them with me also. You believe that? You believe that you can experience real freedom in your life, freedom from oppression, freedom from uh, Pharisees in the church? God, deliver us and help us. God, deliver me from being one. God, deliver you from being one. That we should be people who are, who are constantly calling God's people to experience the freedom we have in Christ. And the way we experience that freedom is, is through trusting in the gospel. The gospel is not so much about what we do. It's not about what we do at all. The gospel is about what God has done. What God has done in his son by his spirit for his name and for our good. And there's a constant need to review that gospel on a daily basis. I challenge you, I challenge anybody that that, that is the basis for your life in faith. That's what Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith. The life I now live. He's talking about his whole life. The life he now lives, he lives by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself up for him. Everything flows out of that gospel. I challenge you to get up in the morning and preach that gospel to yourself every single day. And, 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 and you're never going to get to the bottom of it. The Bible says it's the length, the breadth, the height, the depth, of the love of Christ that can't be known. You can't know it fully. It's too deep. It's too wide. It's too high. It's too broad. And, and, and to ask God, prove that afresh to me that I'm never going to get to the bottom of your love, that I'm never going to be able to sum it all up 
Show me every morning your love and your kindness, your goodness, your grace to me, your mercies to me. I tell you, friends, uh, just personal testimony, that's the only thing that has kept me to this point. Because I would have went AWOL a long time ago if it wasn't for the gospel. I see everything in life flowing out of the gospel. Everything in the house, everything in raising children, not being Pharisaic parents. Children need structure, right? They need rules, right? They do. But they need rules embedded in the context of the gospel. They need to know Jesus. They need to know the gospel. They need to see their parents when they fail, that they don't give up, but they cry out to God. You know, some of you grew up in parents, the parents that made no mistakes, you know. Um, some of us have parents that said, I may not always be right, but I'm never wrong, you know. Uh, how do you figure that one out? But um, it's, it's sometimes, it, it, you know, it's a matter of being humble and, and broken before God and going back to the message of the gospel, the I wills of what God will do and what God has done and feeding on that, feeding on Christ and letting life flow from the cross. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we thank you for the fact that your purposes for us in Christ are going to prevail. They're going to come to completion one day. Uh, nobody can stop you, Lord. You made a promise, and you're going to keep it. You did it with Israel. You're going to do it with us. Father, thank you for Jesus and for how he came and fulfilled the promise. Everything was summed up in him, and he's with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did back in the, in the days of the first century, he'll do right now. He's doing it right now. So, Father, help us not to, to give up like Israel did. They had a bitter spirit, Lord. They were broken. They didn't want to hear the message no more. Father, help us not to be like that second soil that has so much joy, but then shrivels up when the heat is on. Father, help us to, to persevere when life gets rocky, that we'd have some root in ourself, and that root would be the root of Jesse himself, Jesus filling us with his wonder and with his majesty and his beauty and with his gospel. Father, drive us like you, driven, like you drove Paul. Paul said, I, I'm constrained by the love of Christ. And Father, help us to be constrained by the love of Jesus, that we would see that love of Christ decorating everything that we do, driving everything that we do. Father, steep us in the love of Christ. Steep us in that message of freedom that he wants to bring. And may our lives sing a melody to you. Make us the aroma of Christ. The people said they stunk in the nose of Pharaoh. God, help us to be sweet-smelling in your nostrils because of the way we respond to suffering, to challenges, to hardships, to disappointments, to delays. God, give us grace to trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.